bring us to our goal. Daji has said he wants all of us to be a Kamlish version 5000. I repeat, Kamlish version 5000, which means it is his ultimate form, his ultimate inner being. To begin today's program, we are pleased to have our guest speaker, Brother S. Prakash. A very warm welcome to you, Brother Prakash. Brother Prakash Seshadari is known as the corporate yogi. He's the founder and CEO of Sea Change Consulting in India. He's a widely read person and brings with him a rich blend of work, business, management, and leadership experience of close to four decades. He's a nationally acclaimed author, coach, master storyteller, keynote speaker, an organizational turnaround expert and nation builder. He has been writing on human behavior, business success, and many other related topics for over two decades now. He has 10 books published to his credit and in several languages. And he has authored 1,000 plus articles on self-development, spirituality, and varied topics. One of his books, The Spiritual CEO, is based on his understanding of Indian mythology, corporate life cycles, and how it connects to the leadership and organizational shifts that are globally happening. He is an avid reader, has been practicing heartful meditation since 1992, and is a heartfulness trainer. Thanks to the various roles he plays in his corporate life and the Heartfulness Institute, he has great exposure in interfacing with humans from across the world. Brother Prakash is an excellent vocalist. A video showcasing his melodious singing skills was shared on the Malaysian chat group yesterday. We hope to hear Brother Prakash belt out one of his tunes later in the program. Another notable effort by Brother Prakash was his production of a series of videos called Glorious India, which was made for PM Narendra Modi. In a nutshell, these videos give Brother Prakash's perspective on how India, or any other country for that matter, can establish itself as a successful nation in material and spiritual terms. Brother Prakash was previously beloved Chariji's personal secretary, and he now continues as secretary to Daji. Brother Prakash, your chosen topic, meanderings of a focused soul, stirs lots of curiosity. One doesn't expect to find the words meanderings and focus in the same sentence. So brother, kindly enlighten us. The global virtual audience is now yours. Please brother. Namaste, dear sisters and brothers. Once a very famous speaker was called to talk in an audience, an elite audience like you. And uh, when he came up, he asked the person who had arranged the show, how long can I speak? 
So the person who arranged the show said, Sir, you can speak as long as you want, but we will leave in half an hour's time. <laughs> so the question to Brother Shivakumar and Ramesh is, how long can he speak? <laughs> okay, there's another famous joke about another uh, speaker. He took the stage and he kept talking and talking and talking. And he was uh, so enamored by his own voice, he didn't know how long he had uh, spoken. And somebody from the front row kept uh, showing the watch to him. He didn't seem to get the clue. And after he finished the talk, he came down and uh, said, I'm very sorry, I forgot my watch at home. The person said, at least you could have turned around, there was a calendar behind you. <laughs> so don't worry. I'm a public speaker and normally my sessions are well guided and I get a sense of what audience feels. To a great extent, we'll meander, but yet stay within a focus. <laughs> I recall the visit I had made to Malaysia in 2007 along with my family on a holiday. But no holidays are ever uh, completely a holiday for an abiyasi, specifically the one who is reasonably known, not because of his own uh, credits, but because of the house he used to stay. When you stay with the king, everyone gets to notice you. So I have stayed with one king for about 28 years, and I have been staying with another for quite some time now. So we were hosted in several places when I travel there. Morning used to be sightseeing and evening used to be visits to Abiyasi places, meetings, talks, things like that. What I fondly recall is uh, somebody took us in those days, I think it was in Kuala Lumpur, and they showed us a place where it was the, the then center during Babaji's time. And uh, apparently I think that house is gone now. That's what I was told. But it was very nostalgic. I took photographs. When I came back, I showed it to Charji Maharaj then. He said, yes, this is the place. And he said, I've been there with Babaji Maharaj and things like that. So it, it's always nostalgic uh, to speak to people whom you connect well. Specifically, Sister Sushila from Malaysia, her family. Many APSC have been known to me personally for a very, very long time. I mean, officially, I was a gatekeeper for several years in the Manapakam cottage. So whether they like me or not, they had to be <laughs> friendly with me. Not that I was very aggressive with them, but uh, it was fun. That actually also shaped my thinking because when you meet uh, people from uh, multiple cultural backgrounds, especially during Charity's time, Thanks to Sajma's Spirituality Foundation and all that, uh, the mission was present in more than 100 countries then itself. And we used to get batches of people from several countries. So that gave me exposure to a lot of uh, cultural background, nationalities. See, people at heart are almost the same. But how they think, how they behave, their food habits, their thinking habits, all that helped me to shape a lot internally. And uh, it, it was not just a superficial relationship. Many of them used to go back. Those days, they used to email. 
subsequently thanks to whatsapp and uh, social media growing fast many of them stay in touch uh, almost on a very regular basis some of them even once a week hence speaking to people who are your brothers and sisters whom you have met at some point of time interacted does give you a feeling of deja vu you know in some way you have been there you have met them kind of a stuff if you look at the word see a brother was asking a question how am i going to connect the topic of meanderings of a focus soul brother shivkumar was asking actually speaking uh, as he mentioned that i am a prolific writer also my eleventh book recently came out which was published by uh, amazon it was not just published by amazon they had bought over the worldwide rights normally you print through a publisher and then you host in amazon for you to sell the book whereas in my case the spiritual ceo the worldwide rights were bought and published and uh, the icing on the cake was it has a forward by dadji himself i already have about seven books in the pipeline which i have finished in uh, various stages not at given shape finally because till a publisher comes through and shows interest there is no point uh, earlier i used to complete a book and then wait for publishers to come on approach these days i just write uh, the sort of the framework and uh, skeleton paragraphs here and there i have the beginning to end in mind but i don't completely write so somewhere in 2012 in fact uh, even today the word file that i have saved uh, shows the first save as somewhere in 2012 and that was the name that i chose for this topic actually though i am not borrowing anything from the book the title what i gave to that book then which is head to see the light of the day meanderings of a focus soul when a shadrat uh, topic with uh, chadi maharaj he had a hearty laugh i mean he is in a different league i mean the number of books he has read the kind of uh, fervor with which he dives deep into each subject i remember first time i wanted to gift him something and uh, i had finished reading a book in my view that was a very very powerful book uh, those days in 93 or 94 uh, and then i bought that book and went and you know with all uh, like a child carrying a toffee to its parent i went to gayatri uh, the book name i remember was the dancing ubi masters Fidge of Capra, if I'm not mistaken, and that book was one of the simplest book that you can lay your hand to understand uh, Newtonian physics, quantum physics, theory of relativity, and things like that. It was so beautifully written. I was excited. I bought him a copy. Rushed to Gayatri. He just came out, and uh, he he was super fast in assessing what is running in your head. Of course, our conversations were all in Tamil because. we speak the same language mother tongue wise so what happened is uh, immediately as what is up the sense he knew and i had kept it in my hand you know sort of it was gift wrap i gave it to him he opened i started talking about the book he just uh, waved his hand and took me inside his room and opened his library and there was this book which he had read more than one year back <laughs> and he started quoting from the book and uh, saying this what is in the book this what but he said anyway keep it up this is a good habit 
I remember. So when I shared the name of the book of meanderings of a focus soul, he had a heart in the feelings way thing. So we really look at uh, the etymology of the word meandering. If all of us understand the English language does not have too many original words. I'm told that roughly about 800,000 words are original. And they were very adaptable language. So what they did is uh, they used to borrow left, right, and center. And today you have lakhs and lakhs of words in English. All are brought in from so many other uh, dialects and languages like Latin, Greek, French, German, even from Sanskrit, Tamil, things like that. If you look at the word uh, meandering, etymology, as they say, study of the root of the words in English, there are two words in which uh, they have borrowed this from. One is a Latin word called meander, and the second is a Greek word called meandros. In Greek, there is also a, a river called Menderes, which is the name of the river. And deliberately, if you look at my backdrop, I have chosen something which meanders at the backdrop as a river. There's a specific reason why I chose that, so it'll be easy for you to get a grip of what the topic is. The river apparently seems to meander for those who don't look at it. If you look at that backdrop, what you're seeing, you'll find that the river is heading nowhere. It seems to stop, it seems to pause. There are small ponds and lakes which are followed, formed here and there. Yet, if you take a helicopter view and go up and up and up, from the time it literally forms as a droplets on the top of a mountain takes the form of a river. Apparently, rivers seem to have their own uh, thinking, their own intelligence, it's said. Even Chariji once confirmed that even rivers have their own intelligence. They know how to find their way to the mother ocean, where they want to go back and then join the source from which it all came. So if you really look at it, apparent a river which meanders is very, very, very focused on the goal that it wants. It seems to meander for a simple reason. It is taking a path which is easy for it to not destroy much. Let's take the flight paths. We all know that if you give a map to a child and say that you want to say, fly from Chennai to San Francisco. They'll draw a straight line in the map. But in reality, it's never so. Flights have to typically go closer to the pole and then fly back. If you search the net, you'll find the reason that, in fact, that sometimes is the faster path than going via a straight path, which might have several turbulence. And as we all know, Earth is not a straight line. Though a map might look to be a straight line, the Earth is a continuous curve. It's a continuous circle. So the way it has to move has to be focused on the goal, not what happens to be a straight way. So when you use the word, something like a meandering of a focused soul, don't we all meander in our life? How many of us Having known the goal, at some point of time, we entered uh, heartfulness. 
have given up everything else to stay focused on the goal and to go only towards the goals. We spend maybe an hour, two hours on our personal practice. And if you are more committed and you become a volunteer, you take up more work. In my case, I almost invest 10 to 12 hours a day average for the last 28 years or so in mission work, one way or another. Doesn't it mean in some way that actually we are not completely focused on the goal? Aren't we meandering? Even if you take the so-called movement between points from the time you start your yatra at four to point 13, the heart region itself is not a straight line. Why not start from point one and straight away show a direct line and move on to the mind region? Point six, seven, and then on. And why not cut through the skull and go to 13? Why does it have to flow up and go back? After all, they are all supposed to be imaginary points. In which case, it should be possible for them to take us straight. The meanderings are essential for one simple reason. I was recently reading a literature two days back of Babaji Maharaj, where he says, for you to cover something like a heart region without a capable master, you can spend millions of lives and yet not master the heart region for you to graduate from heart region move higher regions. And after that, each of the regions that you cross has the same tendency. Unless you expand, unless you in some way circumambulate the point or expand into the point, Meander in some way. Meander normally is seen as a waste of effort in normal language. But meandering has a very powerful purpose. For a nomad, whom we call as a nomad, he may be extremely clear about what he is up to. We may be thinking as a nomad, yeah, he's, he's just going in circles. Whereas many of us have been going in circles till we have maybe found a path like uh, heartfulness, taking life after life for millennia. It is said that there are 84 lakh species we cross before taking the janma of a human being. And it is said that except a few souls, all souls have to go through these 84 lakh species, right from the lowest level of an amoeba to the one which has one brain apparently like trees and plants, to the two brain, to the third brain, to the third, fourth. And humans like people who are vested with six senses. Even that in some way looks to be a meandering. Haven't we meandered for millions and millions of lives before coming to the form of what we are today? And even here, are we so focused, we know what we are supposed to wait into? When I ask this question, it doesn't mean I have all the answers. We are all co-travelers. We are all learning together. Hence, when you look at a topic like meanderings, off of focused, focus is always about a goal or an objective. When you are obsessed with a goal, or rather I would say, the goal should become you, where you become sort of you and goal, there is no difference, at least at a thinking level at a feeling level. When you do that, 
it is a very old saying that what you focus expands. If you take a pen and keep it at a distance of five feet, you will not be able to read the engraving on the pen. But if you start bringing it closer and closer and closer to your eyes, when it becomes so-called myopic view, very close to your eyes, you can read the letters which are engraved so easily. But you'll also find something surprising. When something is brought to your attention so close, at that moment, you will not be able to see anything else. So when you say a meandering of a focused soul, why a soul? Because the goal is not for the body. The goal is not for the mind or the goal is not for anything else but for the soul. Soul has incarnated to find our body, any body, to find its way back. Makes a mistake, like the story of Vikram and Betal comes back, comes back, comes back, comes back. And sometimes these meanderings are essential for us to know, like in Sanskrit, enati, 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 not this, not this, not this, not this. If today, thanks to our masters, if you know how to reach the goal, imagine how many thousands and thousands of saints and rishis have invested their lifetime to find what is not the goal, to find what is not the path, to find what is not the way. And then they have given you a well-chiseled, beautiful, clear-cut path. And hence, the so-called meanderings we do, even Lalaji Maharaj has said, to say that you don't need knowledge, in the first place, you should have mastered knowledge. When a poor man on the street says that money is of no use, nobody would listen to him. But at the same place, a person who is rich, who comes and says money is useless, people will listen. See, it is always normally the norm of human being that uh, those who have mastered the art of any craft for that matter, whether it's reaching the highest goal or mastery in a specific art or craft, you need to be there before people really start listening to you. And that's what our masters do all the time. So sometimes meanderings, as sometimes it's also beautifully called as sweet nothings. We all know many of the things that we do in our life are full of sweet nothings. It's very nice when you do it. But having done it, when you think back, you may be wondering, was it worth my time? Should I have gone in? Or should I remain focused? Once the question came up, uh, about movies, etc. in the presence of Daji was there, Chariji was there. Somebody asked the question to Chariji Maharaj. Why not make maybe movies on great saints? It will be worthwhile instead of all the commercial movies that are coming around. He gave a beautiful explanation at the time. He said, imagine a movie is made on Ramakrishna Paramahamsa. What is it they can show? Two and a half hours, they have to show him sitting and meditating. Who will watch that movie? So sometimes those meanderings are essential for us to get a grip of life. Many times after all, the experience that we have in life is all about knowing what we should not be doing. In fact, in my leadership sessions in time management, this is one point I communicate to many leaders. More than knowing what you should be doing, you should be knowing what you should not be doing. Likewise, 
sometimes meanderings help us to know what we should not be doing it doesn't mean you keep doing that all the time but at least you sort of find a meaning into that and then start going around even if you look at science i don't know how many of you are aware the nature of the mind uh, makes sense with more disconnected things than connected things when i say that up front you may not even immediately relate at least not all of you but if you have spent some time studying mathematics in your school and if you are fascinated by that subject there is a beautiful series called as fibonacci series it's spelled as f a b o n a c c i but pronounced as fibonacci series surprisingly this series was invented by a person in the 12th century ad when uh, he was studying the growth of rabbits how a rabbit in the first generation becomes how many do they populate in the second and the third and the fourth and based on certain idealized assumptions he researched fibonacci series fibonacci series for those who know mathematics you would know it's the sequence which adds to the earlier number to arrive at the next number for example 1 1 2 3 5 8 13 21 it goes like that one gets added one and then one and one becomes two one and two gets added becomes three it goes like that and surprisingly they found out that there is a pattern in apparent lack of pattern even in life everything which looks just disjointed when you go up and look at it in a different way they all seem to present a different picture and then when i spoke or rather picked up this topic to speak i wanted to apparently meander between topics but when you sit back relax at a later point of time even when you are hearing it or listening to it if it doesn't make sense maybe you go back and listen to it again you will find that the dots would apparently seem to match somewhere after all many of the star constellation by themselves you will know nothing i remember one of the days charity was standing in the entrance to the cottage one of those still nights completely clean sky and you're looking at the stars and you're showing us constellation after constellation and those are the days when mobiles were not it that famous some of the apps which can show you the star formations and with a simple swipe of the stick he could make us understand which constellation of what and apparent the disjointed stars that we are seeing in the sky they all seem to form a beautiful shape which our forefathers have seen with naked eyes and then they have said this is this constellation that is this the series of zodiac constellations if you see all of them are all there such a beautiful fascinating subject you know the astronomy likewise some of the inputs insights i'm going to give you might apparently look to be those disjointed stars in the sky but of course with little bit of imagination you can join anything and with a little bit of lack of imagination even joined things will look to be disjointed to us let me share a very interesting uh, anecdote or a story there once this man long ago who wanted to get a shirt stitched for himself and he went into a shop which was famous for stitching shirts for men 
I'm talking about 40, 50 years ago or something like that, when uh, ready-made shirts were still not in common. We gave all the measurements. So the tailor said, come after a week and pick up your shirt. So the person went after a week and what he found was the most amazing stitched shirt that you could ever imagine. And he happily took it and he asked the tailor, can I just check it before I leave? He said, of course, please do. So the person picks up the shirt, wears it, but suddenly something strange happens. Everything is perfect with the shirt, but there is one challenge. That one length of an arm is slightly shorter than the other length. The right hand is slightly shorter in length than the left hand. We tell the tailor, oh, you have done such a beautiful work, but see what has happened. So the tailor says, I don't mind altering this and giving you, but what will happen is the stitches that you originally made will have to be removed. I'll have to stitch it again, which means the beauty which I was able to bring, that craftsmanship might be lost. Instead, I'll give you an option. So the person says, what? It's such a beautiful shirt when you wear, everybody will literally stand and ask you. Just do one thing, pull your right hand a little bit inside and adjust and wear the shirt. After a lot of struggle and with the help of the tailor, he is able to do that. And he looks at the mirror, uh, he's sort of satisfied, though there is sort of a crookedness to his right hand. But otherwise, it looks to be an amazing fit. But there is still one more problem. Because he has pulled his right hand, there is a sag at the back of the right shoulder, which becomes now noticeable. So he says, uh, boss, this is what has happened, but uh, you see there is a sag. Says, I, even there, I have a solution. Don't worry. Just stretch your shoulder a little bit backward and it look perfect. And this person does and uh, it looks to be perfect. And he's so happy he wants to show to the world. He walks around in the street. But he walks with a crooked uh, hand and a crooked back. Make an imagination and see. As he's walking, one person stops saying, what a lovely shirt. And yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful shirt. So immediately the person says, more than you, I'm amazed at the tailor. He said, why? See, you are such a crooked looking person. The tailor is such an amazing person. It's just a shirt for you. <laughs> when I say this, it might have brought a laughter in your face, but in one way, this is the plight of people who follow religious system and to some extent, many of the spiritual systems as well. In common parlance, the shirt that the tailor stitched, which was different from what he needed, is what we call as rituals. Now, if you go back and if you have found any, if you have followed any religious practices or even a practice like artfulness or any spiritual practice, everything in one way actually is a ritual. A ritual is nothing but a set pattern of practices, like the shirt that the tailor stitched, but it may not fit you. But what happens is, we all go for the one size fits all. I'm, I'm not taking pot shots at anyone, but when you are in, in a practice like artfulness, doesn't mean that some of the basics might work, like the buttons will go inside the button hole for sure. 
but not everything else will have to be exactly the same for you as it is to somebody else. Surprisingly, uh, when Babaji Maharaj was experimenting with uh, Sat Mag in his early times, this even was recently covered in Daji's talk. He finds a way to reach uh, the 13th point in a different route other than what we all know. He was very surprised with this discovery. And then he shares with Lalaj Maharaj in intercommunication that this is what I found. What do I do? This is there in some of the literature for those who are read, but I don't want to dive deeper into that. And Lalaj Maharaj tells him, it's for you to decide. And then Bhagavad Maharaj decides based on comparative study and all that, that the path that Lalaj Maharaj has shown him is the right way to go. The same is what happens to many of us. When we follow something ritualistically, I gave a talk about six months back on the impact of rituals. It's there in my YouTube channel as well. Ritual is a set of discipline that we have to follow. Many people write mails to Daji saying, should I do the night one to three a.m. meditation or not to imbibe these qualities? You have mentioned about meditating in the afternoon at 12 o'clock, which is also the third sandhya, as they say, with the balance. You also spoken about spot cleaning. You also spoken about, you also spoken. If you actually collectively add up all the techniques that our masters are given, including practicing the four suggestions or one of the four suggestions, MBR. I did a quick math when we ran the first 100-day challenge in Chennai about seven years, six years ago which became literally a trendsetter those days, which today is literally being followed in almost all the countries, centers and all that. The 90-day challenge, when you added up all the practice elements, can you make a quick guess how long it would take for you to practice everything that a master has prescribed? About seven hours. Imagine investing seven hours a day just for your personal practice from the time you get up. Just do a quick math. You'll be amazed to find that this mathematics was actually made and given to me by an artist. Right up to half an hour of literature, half an hour of cleaning, spot cleaning, every hour of practice, and beyond all this to be in continuous constant remembrance of meditative state. And then he said, brother, it looks like you have nothing else to do in life from the time I get up and go to sleep in the night. I spent about seven hours. I won't even have time for my work, leave alone for my family. So we can't follow everything ritualistically. There's once this famous uh, incident that Charity Maharaj shared of Babaji's visit to a town, town of Chennai, way back in the 60s or 70s. And uh, this person, uh, I happened to meet their uh, children later, though he had passed on. This person was absolute, uh, close to zero in practice. I mean, he had no element of practice of Sajmar those days, which he was doing. But the day Babaji met him, apparently Chariji saw him uh, taking, uh, Babaji taking this person and putting him in central region. Literally, I mean, in a couple of days of stay there. And Chariji just asked him, what are you doing? 
can he take it? You are the master, of course. You can. I'm, I'm not exactly quoting, I'm paraphrasing. I said, you are the master, you can take him, but uh, don't you feel for a person who's not even practicing for you to take him right into central region with Patsardi, look at his heart. The love he has for me is unparalleled. So, is it rituals which is going to take you to the goal? Or the rituals are tools in your hand for you to go faster to the goal? So the 90-day challenge that you have is not the beginning or end of all. Finally, as they say, the day you are able to knock when the master's heart opens and you get into his mental womb, the job is done. After which you are delivering to the bright world or your birth of spiritual entity is guaranteed. So if you look at the Taylor's uh, shirt story, many of us rituals are also called as idiosyncrasies, the equivalent word. We all have our own idiosyncrasies. Some are good. For example, automation, automatism, sitting in the same place. But would that alone make a big difference? Daji cautioned once that any practice of no consequence, the maximum impact you have in any of these practices is only about 5%. Can you imagine? Like a stone which gets, you know, Grinding stone, you keep on at it every day morning, wake up, do your point B cleaning, do the prayer, sit for meditation for an hour, complete it before sunrise. Again, sit at seven o'clock when master gives the direct sitting, practice the all the suggestions that he gives, do the spot cleaning, do the evening cleaning, do the uh, 9 p.m. prayer, do the point A meditation between uh, night, uh, you know, nine o'clock prayer and bedtime prayer. Read mission literature, do the bedtime prayer, do the tenth maxim, do the bedtime prayer, go to bed, again do, again do, again do. And what is the impact? Five percent. Even in economics, there's a famous called the principle called the Pareto principle, 80-20. 20 percent of what you do brings 80 percent of your result, and 80 percent of what you do gives only 20 percent of the results. Likewise, anything done ritualistically just because you are being told to do. Why am I saying this specifically in a session like 90 days? It's better that I break the mold before you get into a rut. Not that 90 days by itself is bad. I mean, Brother Ramesh shouldn't mistake me for saying that. After all, I remember starting this trend in Chennai Metro Zone with the first 100-day practice in 2016. But the challenge is, when you forget the purpose and get stuck to the ritual. Charity's famous uh, uh, talk where he spoke about how rituals get transferred from generation to generation. He speaks about a fat father who used to do rituals for his uh, deceased father. And he used to wear the traditional panjakacham, you know, like uh, the South Indian Brahmins wear. And he was, since he was very fat, when he used to do this tarpanam or whatever, Whenever he used to tell me, he has to bend. When he bends, the backside of the dhoti will give up. And he used to pull it in. And uh, his son used to see this from the age of one, his father doing this. And he used to become a puny, thin, lanky fellow. And when his father passed on, he started doing the rituals. But every time the Kurukal uh, or the Bhuvar, the, the Brohit did it, he used to stop and ask his wife to pull the dhoti from behind and insert it again. 
because it won't fall. <laughs> he forgot that his father was fat and hence the dhoti was not standing his hip, it was falling. But he thought that was the most important stuff. And he was wondering, you know, I'm doing something wrong. He used to give that work and when somebody came and said, who knew both his father and him, that is the reason he has stopped doing his business. We have to be clear of the goal. When we are clear of the goal, where attitude 95% matters. Between 2011, from the time on 3rd October, he was made the announced as the successor, till the time of the passing on of the great man on 20th December 2014, he has given umpteen talks in Manapakum stage and the Dom Ye, many of you might have also attended. Those days, literally every alternate talk will be about attitude. Even today he speaks. But those days, the amount of talks he has given on attitude, he used to say that get your attitude right. And a famous story he used to quote was about Vidura from Mahabharati. The story of how Pandu was born, how Dhridharashtra was born. Dhridharashtra was born as a blind because when uh, Vyasa came to impregnate uh, the two daughter-in-laws, one of them was so scared, she closed her eyes. She didn't want to see it. And the boy which was born was born blind. The second one froze, though she kept her eyes open. So it was born as Pandu with uh, leukemia. The third one, they played a trick and uh, put him onto a, a servant maid. And uh, the servant maid felt so gifted that such a great saint is coming to impregnate. And the son was born of Vitra, the complete man. He was considered to be the best archer. Had he fought the war, it is said that he could have destroyed the opposition army in one day. And hence he chose not to fight. He was kept neutral by Lord Krishna. He was such a great warrior and such a great prime minister, such a knowledgeable person. All that because of his mother's attitude at the time of being impregnated. Every time you are taking a sitting, every time you are in meditative mood, every time you attend a satsang, you are allowing the purity of the highest standard to flow through you. When the purity of the highest standard flows through you, it is like molten liquid being poured into a mold which helps you to make a statue. If the mold is of a wrong shape or disfigured mold or whatever it may be, or it is that of a rakshish, a bad element, what would happen to the mold? It will take the same shape. Our attitude is the mold with which we decide what flows in. Even in the last week's talk that I was mentioning, you all think you are meditating, you are all great people. And then he spoke about uh, Bhavji Maharaj's uh, condemnation indirectly, where he said, where religion stops, spirituality begins. Where spirituality stops, reality begins. Where reality stops, bliss begins. And then there are multiple dimensions. People have already crossed the state of meditation, spirituality, and moved on to reality or bliss when they be laughing at us. So in some way, the attitude with which we approach what appears to be a ritual, and when would the right attitude blossom? When we understand the depth of what is being shared with us. I have been going through literature several times in my life, all the works, as and when I get time. And I have been privy to 
almost all conversations of Charizma Maharaj and Daji. While they were in Chennai, or I also traveled with them extensively in, in India, at least. Each one of them has only given newer and newer and newer dimensions of what simple process Arkhana's office. Once famously, Manapatan, we were all sitting and talking, and uh, somebody asked Sariji, seriously, but yet in a way in which it was sort of poking. He asked her, why are you giving so many talks? What is the point? We are talking and talking and talking. And then he, he didn't get worked up or whatever. Sometimes he can get annoyed. But in this case, I think he saw the plight of the person who was asking. He said, uh, Sajmar is all about only three letters. In short, he said, uh, I even gave a talk on this uh, about eight months back. It's all about MCP, meditate, clean, pray. That's all. Nothing else. But how many of you understand what is meditation? How many understand what is cleaning? How many of you understand why you have to clean? And then he asked a few were present. And everyone came with their own. Uh, and each one was in the system for 5, 10, 15 years. Everyone came with their own interpretation, their own interpretation of what meditation is. What. And Charity said, you know, if there are 100 abhyasis, there are 110 definition of what Charity Man is. Even after so many years, I don't think we yet understand we may understand what is meditation. But if I give you a sheet of paper and ask you to write, why do you meditate? Why do you clean? Why do you pray? It is like the work I do with leaders in big organizations. When I go there, one of the things that comes up is the CEO or the chairman comes and says, I have a big vision for this company. In some way to puncture his ego or to show them that people don't understand what he communicate, we give them a sheet of paper and ask, then to write in one line or a few lines what the vision of the company is. And if there are 10 people who are present, there will be 10 different versions of what the vision is and it will be a shock to the child or the CEO of the company. Likewise, how many of us really know why we meditate? You may have different reasons. Somebody else may have different reasons. Somebody else might have different reasons altogether. The same way for cleaning, the same how many of us really believe the way in which cleaning is done? After all, there are only two purposes when it comes to cleaning, purpose-wise. One is to remove the complexities and make you simple. The other is to remove the impurities and make you pure. Because God is simple and pure, that's all. But you ask any abhyasi, any heartfulness practitioner to explain what cleaning is, you will find dozens and dozens of variants. In fact, Daji got so, so worked up once, he said, ask all of them to stop talking, ask them to play the standard videos that I'm giving. Because he listened to a few videos, he found that each one had his or her own interpretation. So coming back uh, to that one single story which has set off the attitude paradox. Everyone thinks they have the right attitude and no harm in it. But do we have not just the right attitude, but if we have the exact attitude, what it takes us to go towards our goal, which also brings us to the other element, uh, or which I've mentioned in the talk itself, meanderings of a focused soul, focused on what, focused on the goal. How many of us really have the goal as defined in the maximum? I don't know. I'm not finding fault, but I'm curious. 
if you had time, I would have done a chat box game and asked all of you to post there. And, but to avoid much of embarrassment, I'll say that normally it's not easy that we find the same explanations in all the places. If you really look at this one simple story, it's about we all fit some way into what is given to us without even knowing why we are fitting into that. As Babaji had told Chariji once, and Chariji told us several times, Daji has told us several times, till you take up the system, ask thousands of questions so that you know why you are here. But if you don't know why you are here, you are joining just because somebody told you, you have started a 90-day practice because somebody told you, you are meditating because somebody told you. For some time, it's okay, but otherwise, then you will be walking on the road like the person who walked to that shirt which didn't fit and had a skew to his back, a crooked back and a crooked hand. Let me go to another short anecdote from the life of a person called Vishweshwaraya. He was considered to be one of the greatest architects in the pre-independence days. Respected and revered even by the Britishers. He was so famous that he it, it was his design which uh, became uh, the biggest uh, dam in Karnataka, the Brindavan Gardens that many of you might have visited. Even today, it's a majestic uh, structure. This person was considered to be of the highest uh, integrity and character. To such an extent that he won't sway even when people are not watching you. Charity's famous quote when it comes to character formation. He used to say, character is what you do in the dark. When you know for certainty nobody is watching you, what do you speak? How do you eat? How do you sit? How do you behave? When nobody is watching, when you are certain, he said, this is what you are. In a world where we are all continuously being monitored. We all at least theoretically know how to behave to get a good name in terms of right from dress, in terms of the basic etiquettes, things like that. But are we the same godly person that we all project, the saintly person we all project when the lights are off? It's a question for us to think. But when you look at the story of Visveshwaraya, he used to travel extensively on behalf of uh, government work. And once it was said, documented story about him, such uh, impeccable integrity and character. Once he was staying in a big uh, guest house and he had gone there as part of the government work. Up to 11 o'clock in the night, he was looking at the files, work, which are meant for the government. And he had one light in his bedroom on and he was working. And at 11 o'clock, he had finished the work. He, he wanted to now read something which he liked. So instead of calling the servant who was available for him, he went out from his bag, which was kept outside. He picked up a candle and a light and he brought it to his room. And he put the candle light on and switched off the electrical lights. So the servant came and asked, sir, you could have asked me, I would have brought this for you. And second, why are not you using the light? He said, till 11 o'clock, I was doing government work. I had every right to use the government light I was using. 
when you stop doing government work you are no more the servant you are another human being so this work i can't give it to you now those days they were called as tawali or whatever you know orderlies he says i am reading a book which is for myself so how can i use the government light for that and he lights up a candle and reads and then the story goes like that his life was full of life. if you look at many of our masters the kind of wealth that the mission has these days at least they can do anything that they want yet if you really having observed them closely one thing i have known for sure highest integrity highest character formation our masters the biggest um, role models for each and every one of us in all corporate life we all speak about walking the talk do people walk the talk when it comes to life we are all like children who ape our parents we don't do what our masters tell us to do we do what they do we all ape their behavior we don't ape their insight we really don't know what it is so what we do normally is we tend to ape them we act like masters and hence they have to be so careful every word that they utter every action that they do people immediately start mimicking and copying saying oh my master has done it's all right for me to do either also one single word you know lalaji repeats after all in all the books that he i mean after all the only one official book of his he says between spirituality and morality i'll put morality on higher pedal than spirituality i was there in 1995 somewhere in august or so when charity was visiting bangalore he had gone to the farm of his son brother pr krishna to inaugurate the farm there was a rose garden that brother pr krishna had at the time we were traveling with him and uh, he wanted to give us all a sitting so inauguration sitting and he sat on the floor gave a sitting though there was a chair and after the sitting he said i feel like talking and somebody put up like those are the no videos there only a, somebody will carry an audio recorder it will be recorded and it will be later transcribed and sold as cds and things like that so he gave a very beautiful talk he said uh, few things related to character formation so the form that you have taken you owe it to your parents it comes from that dna the chromosomes what are you going to call there is not much that you can do though you can alter here and there plastic surgery cosmetic surgery this you can't make complete structural changes so the education and material success that you have you can't take credit they are the samskaras that have come with you from the prior lives and the samskaras who are partly building this life he said spiritual progress is an absolute no no it is completely given by the master the only thing you are capable of doing is to become deserving but that deservingness can be created only by character formation which alone is in your hands and hence the only thing that a practitioner heartfulness practitioner has in his or her hands is to shape such a character many people ask in various times people ask me several questions 
what exactly is what you call as character formation? I'll take one shot through the maybe end with that and move on to question and answer. Though I have several other points to cover, it's already close to an hour. It's about two painters who came to a king who said that uh, we are great painters and uh, we want to enter into a competition. In fact, the king says, I want to see who is the better painter of you. And uh, I throw open challenge. Whoever wins, you ask, what do you ask? It's yours. You name a price, it will be yours. And both the artists, painters, they ask for about six months time. And they are given a room and uh, in the middle of the room, they're given two sides of the wall. In the middle of the room, they put a huge uh, sort of uh, coverage. They pull, pull a wheel around it, like a huge curtain. And they're given about six months. And the king doesn't really bother to disturb them. And periodically, he'll check how things are going. They'll say, it's all fine. The first painter had a lot of assistance and he was apparently doing a great work. The second painter kept absolutely silent. He didn't show what he was doing at all. And at the end of six months, the king came and he said, I want to see the work. So the second painter says, please see the first painter's work first. I'll show mine next because mine is something that you cannot even imagine. The story was shared by Charil Maharaj once. And uh, the king looks at the paint and it's the most amazing painting that I've ever seen in this world. That kind of beauty, the strokes, that splendor the sprinkling of color, the life, the art form is just unimaginable. He was about to announce the winner, but he says it's only fair that you look at the work of the other person. And then the other person is asked to bring the curtains down. And he pulls the curtains. All that the king finds is a complete reflection of what was on the other side of the wall. The king gets angry. He says, you are a cheat. You have done nothing. That uh, king, please hold your words. Listen to what I have to say. It says, I've taken six months to convert this wall, not with a real mirror, but I put my heart and soul to convert this wall like a mirror. It is capable of exactly replicating, duplicating, reflecting what is in front of you. And then the king understands that finally life is all about what it is. If you really have to take a clue from this, the Charimara did share in that story, but it's my reflection. The highest level of character formation is when you become the exact reflection of that mirror and the only thing that you reflect is the master in you. The day we are able to do that, and if you really ask me how to do that, that can only happen in one state as a seed. When your heart is a perfect vacuum, when it's a perfect vacuum, it tends to pull everything that is around. And in remembrance, when you are in vacuum, you pull nothing else but the master himself to you. And that kind of vacuum can only happen through sustained practice. And when you're clear of the goal, when you're clear of the tool that are available, and which is the tool I have to use, how do I use it? How long do I use it? Is this tool something that I need to use? For me, maybe reading literature will kindle an interest in me to do cleaning better. For you, learning to a video or an audio master might be helpful for you to do the cleaning better. For somebody else, it could be intuitive. For somebody else, it could be talking to a preceptor. For somebody else, it could be talking to an abhyasi. 
So there is no one single method, though the techniques are apparently the same. Meditate, clean and pray, MCB. But the way you adapt is a choice in terms of what your goal is. Are you possessed with the goal? Has the goal possessed you where there is no difference between you and the goal in terms of thinking? Even if you have woken up in the middle of the night and asked, what's your goal? Can you, other than by hearting and reproducing, can you say it from the bottom of the heart what your goal is? When you are able to do, and when you modify your attitude and modify the practice, after all, you may be asking, do you have the right to modify the practice? After all, aren't we doing that all the time? One day we clean, one day we don't clean. If you're not modification, what are we doing? The current form of cleaning was, after all, uh, completely formulated by Babaji Maharaj, though there was an element of cleaning in the time of Lalaji Maharaj. It was completely made, researched and made by Babaji Maharaj. If you look at the revelations of point C, D, etc., it's a revelation to Daji, which is confirmed in this verse way back, even before he was uh, made as a successor or announced as a successor. All that comes when you have a little bit of flexibility based on the goal. Be ready to experiment in a positive way. Be aligned to the goal. Meander here and there, no issues. As long as your meandering doesn't take you away from the goal. But it is a positive curvature where it is said that when you want to aim, like when you're running for a pole vault, if your height is six meters, if you aim at six meters, you'll hit the pole and fall down. You may have to aim at 6.2 or 6.3. Generally, you can go over a meandering or a positive curvature is something like that. I wish you the very best in moving towards your goal at God.